0: Welcome back, guys, to episode 33 of the JPS Podcast, and in today's episode, I have athlete, 3DMJ coach, content creator, author, one of the best and my favorite podcast hosts, super badass, my good friend, Andrew Valdez, on the show. So welcome, Andrea.
1: Thanks. Thanks for having me, and thanks for all the nice words. <laughs> I appreciate it.
0: And last time Andrea and I spoke, uh, we chatted very broadly about her coaching career and how it's evolved. And lightly touched on some of the female psychology related to physique. And in today's episode, we're going to cover similar topics, but I want to get a little bit uh, more nitty gritty and into the details, so to speak, of these two topics. As I think Andrew, is somebody with both a lot of experience and a great understanding um, of these things, and will shed some extremely valuable uh, insight into both what it takes to make it in the fitness industry, as well as you know the psychology of physique. So. Andrea, first yes. thing I want to talk about, you know, you've written about a few concepts uh, since we last spoke. Um, mm-hmm. You know, There's a few articles that really stuck out to me, which were uh, related to working for free um, and optimism bias, which I thought are both highly relevant to, to coaches. And obviously, the first one, working for free, that's what you were writing about. Um, yeah. But why has working for free, you know, for those who haven't read the article, because I know you don't promote it a lot, why has uh, working for free allowed you to make a living? And you know what? What does it mean to be a fitness entrepreneur? Like you know the financial versus the you know the psychological reward. If you can start to you know evolve on that discussion.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, if I was telling you before, it still blows my mind that you read my website because <laughs> Jacob's talking about articles that aren't on the Three DMJ website. They're on my personal website, which is at least three quarters, like just for me. And I don't know why. So it it's, it's crazy that you do. And I appreciate it. Um, but the working for free is something that I've always held dear in that. I remember growing up as a gymnast and, um, obviously I'm a child and don't have any money, but I worked hard every day for this thing and the reward can only be intrinsic or I guess it could no, this is before Instagram, so I couldn't post my videos of the cool shit I was doing. It had, you know, I, I just, from an early age, um, could never put my finger on it and still probably can't put my finger on what I get from things that I work really hard for. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't know if that's um that sense of accomplishment, that the fact that I can do things that not a lot of other people can do. The fact that—is
0: um, that your optimism bias?
1: Right? Uh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> right, it might be, but but it's a little bit real in that most people like can't do a backflip. Like, I, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's a tangible. Yeah, that's that. a tangible. I know you're giving me shit, but still. Um, you know, I don't. I don't know, and and you know what? That's a good point though. Is I do when you talk about the optimism bias for your listeners, it's basically this thing that we all think we're better than we really are. Um, And when I read about that and become aware of it, I'm terrified of thinking I'm better than I am. So the way I see it is I can either at things that I, I know I don't have a leg up, I can be real humble about them and be like, you're a piece of shit. Just talk it down, whatever, keep working at it. And the things that I really do think I'm better at, I'm always questioning like, um, if I say I'm better at this and I'm supposed to be a fitness professional and supposed to be an athlete, am I doing the things that will make me worthy of those titles? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, again, things that make you worthy of those titles are, are working for free. And I'm not saying that you should work and not get paid, but if money is the primary motivator, generally you won't get out of it what you could, I guess is what I'm trying to say there.
0: Yeah, yeah, I can kind of understand and I think... Yeah, a lot of coaches, it's it's a real uh, struggle. You know, it's a trade-off because, like, you know, we need to make a living. Um, but mm-hmm. at the same time, you know, there's a lot of the things uh, that come with coaching and being a fitness entrepreneur, you know, for lack of a better term, um, that require us to, you know, work outside of, you know, what we're paid for. Like, it's very hard to get paid to write articles or paid for video content um, and things like that. So I, I guess, you know, the fiscal yeah. reward is the ob- obvious you know, uh, benefit accrued from being a coach. You know, that's what most people say, hey, you know, I took X amount of clients this week or you know, I made X amount of sales on this program. I must be good at my job. Um, yeah. Whereas something you wrote in the article, which I, I thought you know, a lot of coaches uh, should be paying attention to, is the psychological reward you know, that comes with you know, the development of your practice over time, your skill set, your knowledge you know yeah. acquiring experience just being able to you know communicate better like all these things um so how did your understanding of this help you recognize um you know the areas in your coaching um that provide you with the most amount of reward outside of finances
1: yeah well well, something you said there that always stuck out with me um was skill set like skill set you can't you can get money from being the best at something, obviously, but how do you become the best at something? And it's you're right, it's, it's. not the – if I train someone for an hour, yes, I'm getting paid for this hour. But how do I know what the fuck I'm doing? And, and that's um, – there's so many – when you're working with humans especially, there's so many like non-measurables. Like you said, it's not like I'm working in a factory where you can – I'm putting – nuts and bolts on a car and at the end of an hour, you know exactly how many of these things I did, you know, it's, it's not like that. It's, um,
0: yeah.
1: yeah, there's, there's a broadness to it and the breadth to it. And there, especially with coaching, there's, I can tell you so many things I've learned that have that the title of the book I read has nothing to do with the word coach or training, or exercise, or whatever, but I get a lot from it. You know, um, like the Optimizing Bias is, is a book, right? That I stumbled upon <laughs> via another book by I think Bob Knight, which is a, a very winning uh, basketball coach. Which, yes, it's a sport, but has like most people who want to be a personal trainer aren't going to read, you know, three levels sideways from from training. You know, and and I think that that's a part of it is. Is I can't say that me reading a basketball book makes me a better bodybuilding coach. I mean, it, in some ways it, it could be more obvious than that, but but in the fact that it made me aware of where I could be lacking, or made me more aware like, okay, where are you as good as you think you are, and if not, why not, and um, and where can you change? So I don't, I don't know. I think there's just a, a mistake in in the amount of breadth. Of knowledge that could, or breadth of information or perspective that could help you, in not just the fitness industry but any industry. I feel like um, people sometimes get stuck in reading only the things that are very obviously on a platter. Like this applies to you. When it's like, I think um, a pretty good skill is what can you take from everything, you know?
0: And yeah, let's uh, discuss yeah, that that idea then. In the you know, what skills does a fitness entrepreneur need? You know, if you were to rattle off your top five or ten that you have, you know, personally, you know, seen value in, not only from because you obviously, you know, work with the team as well, you know, of coaches who are successful coaches, but they're also successful, I guess, businessmen as well, you know, as a function of their coaching. So, you know, what would be the things or the key, you know, areas that coaches should be looking to, you know, as part of this.
1: Yeah, as part of the business, well, like you said, fitness business, there is a business side, and most people think, if I know everything about the body, I'll get paid, and it's like, that's not it at all, Um, you know, so, and then when you look at business, and and you know this better than anybody, because you have a brick and mortar, but like, 3DMJ is an online business, we have to have okay so we how do we make money through coaching all right so who who wants to be coached people have to know that we exist okay so for people to know that we're an option for valuable coaching we have to be out there somehow luckily we're online exclusively so we have the whole world to pick from Mm. but we have to use the internet to get to the world and so it's like okay we have to have a website someone has to at least semi know how to write shit and semi know how to work. how to make a website. Then there's social media, how to, um, an email marketing. And all, so the, yes, all this we can work, connect.
0: you know, just so sorry to relate it back yeah, to go the ahead. original topic is, is free. Like, yes, you all you are doing yeah.
1: I do before. not get paid to yeah. write an email list, I don't get paid to run our team operation, not directly, right? And that that's the shit of it, right? Is like we talk about learning so broadly in order to be a good coach and then there's like all these broad skills and things that are involved in operating this business so that the end goal is the dollar for hour transaction. You're right. Like there's, um, God, hosting a podcast. Oh, I can't even tell you, dude, how many, <laughs> you I know, know um, and, and we're behind. Cause I was like, I was telling you, I was sick for two or three weeks and we didn't record. So now in February I'm talking on Skype at least 10 hours a week you know yeah. and it's driving me bonkers and I don't get paid for of it you know indirectly but at the same time that's actually for 3dmj has become our biggest media outlet so while all the hours and hours I spend recording because ours are about two hours long or one to two hours night
0: they come out that day yes that's when I tune in well,
1: for you guys it's at night for there's
0: Thursday night my time I, I tune in yes
1: and um <laughs> you know, and then I, I hang up and then, cause this is my part of part, one of my contributions to 3d. And then, um, I have to write the intro, record the intro, what's going at the beginning and the end. Then that thing, this is something that we pay for, but don't get paid. I have to send it to Brandon who edits it, puts it, makes the audio and the video. And I pay him to do that. And then he in turn sends it to Steve, who is our RD slash, uh, podcast publisher. And he has to put it where it goes, so it's on iTunes, and um he does the show notes and he fixes the description. All. So I mean, collectively, right? Every two-hour episode takes three different people, probably six or seven hours, Just a and we pay them. Yeah, and 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 um, that's how we have a following, and that's how we get a lot of clients, you know, because we. I know that 3D is kind of like on a, a larger scale, right? There's five of us. So therefore to support us, you would in theory, I guess, say we need five times as many clients, which would be even more difficult on your own. But um, I guess that's another thing too, that you speak, you have a staff, you have coaches underneath you, you, you know, there's just then shit out of of business or part of business. Then there's the people skills, right? I have to be able to work well with Brandon and Steve. You have to be able to work well with your coaches and your support staff and you bring brick and mortar Uh, You have to learn how to – what you have cleaning staff, I'm sure. You have an accountant. You have – so I just think it's a real big fallacy that you can have one skill and make it in anything, really. There's specialized and then there's like naive.
0: And, you know, with all of this stuff that you're doing, unpaid. Unpaid until you obviously – see that return later on you know the delayed gratification for that yeah. client you know starting with you guys or somebody uh going to the vault and purchasing um mm-hmm. you know one of your you know services or products there you know how do you stay motivated to continue to you know do these things and you know for those coaches who are you know feeling the pressure financially because it's very real like you know i know this yeah. fact: the pressure of You know, I've got to sustain my clients and build my client base and work on these skill sets directly related to my coaching, but then I Mm -hmm. also need to do all of these things to get it out there. Um, You know, what's your advice to, you know, staying motivated, uh, finding balance between, you know, being a good coach but then being able to, you know, handle the business side of things, knowing that they are not directly, um, you know, seeing a return or initial return on that investment?
1: Yeah, I think... That, that might be a little different for a lot of people. And I think it depends a lot on the amount of stress you can take both in life and financial stress, right? Like, um, I was really poor for a really long time after I got my master's degree because I decided I want to make it online. Uh, you know, and, and that's because I didn't have kids. I didn't have a house. I don't have people depending on me. Um, and I know you did while you were coming up, so I'm sure that that's, um, even more, but but that was a big stressor, um, you know. So so that's the only reason I would say it's gonna be different for everybody. And and if you can't take a lot of stress, there's no reason you can't have a side job, yeah. whatever you already do. Um, I mean, I've I think when I first decided to the first year I decided to I was like, okay, I'm gonna do this online YouTube thing. I was a cocktail waitress at a casino. During my first prep, when I was working with Birdo. Um, yeah, it was uh, you know I've done I've done things that weren't super fun, you know, but but that's just it is like I had to support myself while while developing yep. these skills, right? And then I think just an acceptance that it's going to take a long time mm-hmm. because I know I interviewed you on my podcast, like you you were a personal trainer, at some other global gym on your own. I did that too. I coached gymnastics on my own, you know, but it's um everything requires sacrifice. So it's like, it's just that exchange of like, okay, how uncomfortable am I willing to be while I pursue this thing? And if it's not worth pursuing that thing, then either you take the slow route and and, and that's fine, right? Cause you have to support yourself or you decide like, this is worth that much and I'm willing to do X or whatever. Um, and as far as motivation, man.
0: Yeah. I, I guess the satisfaction that comes with, um, you know all of the things that you want to pursue versus what you're, you know, doing over here. Um, you know to keep yourself sustained, yeah. so to speak. Like you know, i almost that argue reward.
1: Yeah, and I'd almost argue that if you lose motivation over and over, like maybe this isn't mm. a, a good path. Yeah. Because sure. I've never, for once, questioned it. Mm-hmm. Um, I would do like it. We talked about this when you're talking about your season too, your competition season right now. How it's like unless, um, this is the way I feel about bodybuilding is you shouldn't compete unless you can't not compete. Right. And, and I feel like that's the same with, um, cause you can technically or or maybe not technically, but like I could be a personal trainer who used someone else's facility and they did the marketing for me. And they, you know, like it there, there's definitely, it's not either I work for the man or I work for myself. There's ways of gradually getting there. But if you're, um, I don't know. I'm I'm not real good at talking about the motivation topic because I, for important things, don't ever feel like I lose motivation. Mm. And if and if something's really not that important, I don't even think about why am I not motivated for this. I just think like, oh, I guess I shouldn't do that because I'm not. I don't have this burning push to do it. And I guess so maybe is, you just shouldn't. Yeah.
0: This is a good time to bring up, you know, and what I was alluding to, or trying to see, you know, how you, you know, you find successful satisfaction in the job. Um, yeah. Is not necessarily related to the financial stuff. It's the you know the self development over time and all the little things that you love about it. I guess to keep it going. And, and the Stephen uh, what's his name Press Pressfield Pressfield, Pressfield. Yeah. Um, you yeah, know the Marine uh, example that he gave uh, on the two yes uh marines and the salaries and i found that really eye-opening i think you know that's probably something a lot of trainers um you know could relate to do you want to share that analogy and i guess how that helped you you know
1: okay well if i remember correctly because again i think i wrote that a long time ago and once i get it out of me it's just out of me which is probably not that great but it's something about the psychological salary and um is that accurate yeah because yeah. i think you've read it more so yeah it's like um yeah, I might get paid some, but more importantly, what I'm getting out of this is it's making me a better person. It's teaching me skills I can carry forward. It's adding to my collective value as human, whatever. Um, and if we, I'm trying to think, I think I, I talked, did I talk about 3D in there? Like how I did that for? Yes. That's yes, yeah. Okay. So that's how I became a 3DMJ coach. Actually, I was, um, or I want to say how I became a coach because that was never the intent. Um, I was doing my own coaching, my own YouTube channel, my own eBooks. Um, and I was struggling, you know, I, like we talked about, like I could live, but not super comfortably. And it was, it was trucking along and, and while I'm not making a lot of money, um, I had this opportunity to use the skills I did have building my own business to, um, help 3DMJ with this little side project. And so I got to know them. Yeah, yeah. So I did a, it was, I had written an ebook called Beyond the Build um, for figure athletes. And then it went over really well. And I decided to do one for male bodybuilders, but I am not a male bodybuilder. So I asked Jeff to help me with the posing portion of that and that went really well a couple months later, um, because he knew me and I was already a 3d athlete. Uh, the guys wanted to do a posing clinic and I lived around them. And so they helped, I got to, um, not just be the girl helping the girls out there, the 3d girls, but also like I sold the tickets online and created a little web page for them. Cause they had just never done all that stuff yet. Um, and that project in a way, and then I was like, okay, so what's my next project. And I really, I approached Eric Helms about I was like, look, I'm making these little eBooks and I I get that they're useful and quick and whatever. But I, if I can think about the best thing I can do to help the world, (laughs) which is literally how stupid and entitled I am. I'm like, what's the coolest thing I could do? Or like the thing that makes the most impact. And that was, um, to take the muscle and strength nutrition pyramid at the time it it came out maybe a year prior, um, on video that Eric did it on the 3dmj YouTube channel. And I was like, if I was a coach or like, it's so valuable that it really should be in text based. Yeah. Yeah, I'm like, I would love to have this chilling in my gym and I could just flick through it for this chapter about this thing to look up these values instead of having to go through an hour long playlist. And so for those who don't know, two, three years later, it's become a really massive success. And we have a pair of books now with Andy Morgan and it's, it's been awesome, but that wouldn't have happened (laughs) if, um, I didn't do, I don't know, a good almost a year's worth of stuff, um, quote unquote, for free for 3DMJ um, because they were my heroes. It was kind of like a payback. It was like a reverse thing. Mm. It was like I learned these things so I could survive, and then I was like, when I, I would see, yeah, and I didn't. I don't want to say like holes in their game, but I, mm. I, I would learn shit and I would know like. And I would think, like, okay, I'm kind of nobody. I'm this little girl. I'm barely making it. Like, um, I have shit to say, but there's only one of me, and I don't have money to hire people, whatever. And then, like, 3D is, just, again, because I fall in them forever, just my heroes, or whatever. And and when I would see, like, like, Eric's thing, I'm like, man, that was fucking awesome. And it saved my life. But, like, only so many people can find it here. And it's only in this one format. Like, we can blow this up, you know? Luckily, he said yes. And luckily, it all worked out. But, none of that shit happens without, you know, and then later on down the road, it wasn't, and I don't know if I've talked about this on a show before, but I know on some podcast somewhere, it's like my, the intent was never become a 3DMJ coach. Right. And it was never, um, I was terrified to be honest, but it, it was more like, and it's not like the foreman of 3DMJ. I mean, how many people in this world are more educated than I am more famous than I am more all these things uh that seem like a maybe a more obvious approach on the outside but on the inside I was the only person who had done this stuff for them I knew them all intimately uh they trusted me you know it's like all these intangibles that maybe the the fitness industry didn't know but you know it's four four men built this thing so many years ago and they're not just gonna it's not like any scientist can come in or any coach can come in It was um, the reason that I was brought on the team was for the other skills that I had done for free for however long. Um,
0: I think it's so important for um, any aspiring coach or fitness professional to realize that there is just so much um, unpaid work that you need to do um, before you get your shot, you know, and, you know, it's like we're going to talk about this uh, later when we talk about, you know, psychology of physique. Um, you know, it's got to be your poo, Sammy, right? You've got to, you know, want to do all that stuff, um, but love it at the same time, and you know, get that, um, be intrinsically motivated, you know, by the reward of you know, the self betterment and all the rest of it. And I think you're a great example of, you know, what most successful fitness professionals and coaches uh, embody, which is that uh, willingness to, you know, give up, you know, the short-term financial gain to, you know, pursue something better long term, which is, you know, the improvement of what they have to offer to the world, you know. and Thanks, I think, dude. I think that's where uh, a lot of coaches can find value from, you know, um, your experience uh, in the industry. And I appreciate that.
1: That's that, that, real nice. Thanks.
0: Man, just speaking the truth. And <laughs> I guess that relates uh, perfectly to, like, optimism bias because there are a lot of coaches who would think that they're already doing these things, you know, oh, yes, I'm already comfortable with working for free, I'm already a good coach, like I already have X amount of followers, you know, my sales are fine, like they already think they're good. Um, And I know personally, like I'm constantly, you know, convincing myself that, you know, I'll be better in the future as well and that, you know, um, you know, just all the things that come with, you know, thinking that we're better than we are, like I think, you know, like you said in your article, a lot of people do overshoot their abilities so how do mm-hmm. you personally not fall victim to this line of thinking?
1: Oh, I think I do. <laughs> less and less over the Describe years as questions. they go on. No, 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 no. Well, like, um, okay, so if I think about it, when I'm not obviously immune to it, but I think a, a good thing to say is the fact that because I read widely, that comes up and reminds me not to be a jackass about it, right? And so that's another one. I was like, I'm, I'm, I spend time working on myself, and I don't think of it that way either. um I'm just curious. I think that's more how I think about it. Is like if I can always stay curious, I'll always bump into shit that just little reminders, like don't be an asshole, don't be an idiot, don't you know? um And I'm a more negative person than that. Like I don't, I don't read things and go like, oh yeah, I want to be that. A lot of times it's, it's like that article, I read stuff and I'm like, shit, I don't want to be that person. Like, I don't want to be that. Like when I see stuff on Instagram and it's like cringeworthy, I'm like, don't be that person, you know? Um, so I think it's, um, maybe a little bit of that, a little bit of the fact that I am always with a guy, like being part of 3DMJ has done a lot for me outside, outside of the financial, which we've talked about, but more in that I'm so terrified of letting those men down. Um, and not being as good as they think I am or should be. Um, so that's something that really humbles me as carrying that name because I've looked up to them for so long and I don't ever want to let them down. Um, things that came here. And, and the reason I say that I, I don't think I mean to it is actually we're releasing our, today was 3DMJ podcast's 80th episode, 80th, right? And we had to re-record it for the first time in 80 episodes. I listened to one that we recorded a couple weeks ago. And I didn't like how I sounded on it. And I had to ask the guys if we could can it. So I'm definitely not as good as I want to be at a lot of things. But I was um, coming from a place of anger instead um, and being ranty. A little bit like I was in Melbourne. Uh, But uh, for the whole podcast, I was um, you know, I get on my pedestal of like, this is what an athlete should be. And, 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 and like, I think, and I, I get sometimes where I like, um, you know, I, for the listeners, yes, I'm a bodybuilding coach, but I actually train like functional fitness type stuff, CrossFit type things. And I follow a lot of crossfitters and wannabe crossfitters in that community and I and it's a very interesting place that I'm not as well curated as I am with bodybuilding and so I see things and I'm like you people are crazy you know and and I think the way that I recorded this particular episode was from a place of like I don't know kind of talking down on a whole population of the fitness industry and I didn't like it um so yeah I'm definitely not above um thinking my shit don't stink sometimes but hopefully I can catch it more often than not but I get oh and and I was gonna say I get shit on the podcast all the time for being outspoken and that's not easy I know that you commented on one of our episodes where someone was giving me shit for not letting Eric talk or something which is crazy because Eric knows how to talk and would shut me up if he needed to but um I don't know yeah and I talk too much as you're all listening to right now I get after myself for that a lot um, I don't know. I don't do think you, I'm above it. Is all I'm saying, but I work on it.
0: Do you think that having somebody to be accountable to in the 3DMJ coaching staff um, is useful in almost you know making a comparison against some objective standard, so to speak, um, and allowing you to see that you know you are you know not ranked, so to speak? Because I know a lot of people. Have done that, like they people, you know, inherently rank things. You know, like they want to. Yeah. If they were talking about three MJ, like it's there's always a ranking system going on for most people. I've seen it online and stuff, and I think it's silly because, it, like I've you know, discussed with you, I think everyone brings something so different that it's like comparing apples and pears. Um, yeah. But people do it, and I think having some form of like objective standard for somebody like yourself, like me. To say, hey, you know, this is where I want to be in the future. This person is there. What do they embody? Um, you know, what things do I like and you know don't like about them? That's what I need to do more of um, because I'm not there yet. Do you think that's something that has helped you? Has it, you know, made you? Has it, you know, killed your self-esteem? You know, I think a lot. It could be taken a lot of different ways. Like, do you think that coming into a group of coaches and having, you know, more, you know, I guess people to compare yourself to, it's you know part of the nature to compare do you think that's been something that has you know driven you to to improve and you know make sure that you're not you know perceiving yourself to be as good as you think you are
1: yeah absolutely um and it's not just with 3d and not just with bodybuilding yeah. coaching it's um it is human nature and we always say like don't worry you know, worry about yourself yeah. da, da, da. and but um and i think i'm a more independent thinker than um like i i am the the person of the five of us that's usually looking outside of the fitness industry most often so it's it's like a weird i compare myself to a lot of people but they're not usually people in the fitness industry besides the guys mm-hmm. um yeah so they're good for me in that like it's it's weird i have this thing where like i learn enough to do like i i don't think that i need to sit there and like study uh, research all day, every day. I don't think... Because luckily I have Eric and the guys to... We have conversations. We're all,
0: we're all lucky we have Eric.
1: Yeah, we're all lucky. But he's our, <laughs> our research and development, yeah. right? So we do reviews over research together. We... You know, he writes mass. Um, I'm in... You know, once I've fully... In the two years it took to write The Damn Pyramids or a year or whatever, like, I I, I know that stuff real well. But because... um. My coaching roster is not incredibly huge, and I know how to look things up pretty quickly. I don't spend all day every day reading bodybuilding shit. Um, I'm usually looking outward, like I said. For There's a lot of other authors I look up to, a lot of other podcast listeners, a lot, or, sorry, podcast creators, a lot of other athletes, a lot of um, – but when it comes to actually bodybuilding, it's funny. I'm just worried about what these four men think of me. And I, tr- I almost actively try to ignore the rest of it because I think – Me, um, as the like kind of operations person of 3d and like, I I try to pace our direction the best I can. Um, I like to look at what's working elsewhere so that we never come, we never become another fitness podcast, another coaching practice, another, you know? Um, so yes, I'm always looking outward and the guys help me help keep me accountable, but I'm not so much like, am I giving the right protein recommendation? It's more like, are they proud of me? And like, am I being integrous to the mission? Yeah, that, that they set forth however many years ago. You know? yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. no, I really like that. I think, yeah, thinking I would is something I definitely have started to do more of. The more I've you know, spent in the industry, I remember early on, I was very hyper focused on, you yeah. know, understanding, you know, amino acids same. and same know, yeah. all of the nuances of like muscle protein synthesis and length tension curves, like all these like nuanced things. And, like at the end of the day, it's like do you know how to teach someone how to, you know, retract their scapula and do a row properly, right? Like, um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you
1: know, but there actually, is a baseline. There is a baseline level of understanding. But yeah, it's like once you've reached it, I'm like, how far do I need to go when yeah. I'm coaching a four-year-old, you know, mother of three? Like, I, I don't need to explain to her like the Krebs cycle, you know, or whatever. <laughs>
0: exactly, <laughs> and, and I'm the same in that I now also spend very little time, you know, researching further. You know, I'm subscribed to Mass. Uh, Alan Aragon, like James Krieger's week research review, and I'll quickly mm-hmm. read through like a couple of our articles. You know, a week I listen to your podcast. Um, you know, I've got the 3 dmj Vault, a couple of things on there. Like, so like learning to be selective with where you spend your time um, allows yeah. you to work on all these other things. I think that's really important. A little bit off topic, but I think that's important to the whole self development. <laughs> being able to refine, you know, your ability to learn. Um, and that comes with, you know, obviously having less bias towards your you know, ability. Um,
1: yeah, I think that's a, a good thing. I guess that's something I try to work on is, um, like you said, learning how to learn and like trusting. I, I trust myself in that if. I don't know something I am at a point and I think in my fitness career or whatever, uh, in my profession that I know at least where to look for right. certain things. Right. I know if I'm having nutritional issue, whatever I can go here and call the RD. Um, if I'm having trouble analyzing data, Hey Eric, you know, if I'm having trouble dealing with athletes, um, or, or, uh, you know, because the guys, each of them have been coaching I don't know how many more years more than me. So like, if it's just, is this person telling me the truth? What are the signs of this and that? What have you done when this client's hit roadblocks? Like I can go to all the guys, but, um, and we have weekly meeting or bi-week every other week we meet too. And that's where I get a lot of my education, but yeah, it's like, um, knowing where to go to get the right answer or the right perspective is a good skill. And I trust myself in that at least where I, I know, um, where I stand and where my, uh, like quick resources are.
0: Yeah. I, yeah. Th- I think it's, yeah, super important for like developing like self esteem as a coach, like self efficacy, mm-hmm. like all of those things that, you know, allow us to get better and obviously not overshoot, you know, how could we actually think we are. Um, yeah. yeah, we could talk about that all day. I love that. I stuff. know. Like, sorry. Keep directing no, me. It's I'll really go good. I, I'm really <laughs> in- enjoying that. Now, the psychology of physique, um, and this is something I wanted to talk about because I, I do believe that it's not spoken about enough. Um, I think there are people out there who, yes, they, they touch on it. And everyone talks about psychology you know, in very loose terms, very broad, you know, well-being. You know, we need a healthy relationship with body. We need a healthy relationship with food. And at 3 MJ Down Under, you literally went balls deep in this and said, hey, <laughs> bodybuilders, Coaches of bodybuilders, this is what it means to be healthy. This is mm-hmm. what bodybuilding is. Does bodybuilding marry up with our, you know, what true health is? And you basically, you know, discuss, like I mentioned, my headphones falling out. The Prue Sammy and how you know there is such a large discrepancy and you know um, divide between what we do in bodybuilding versus you know what we should be doing for health. Um, yeah. So. If you can start by you know reframing the assumptions that people make in regards to mental health and I mm-hmm. guess the misconceptions people have you know as to what it means to be mentally healthy.
1: Oh man. again, because I suck and that was so long ago, I'm like trying to even think about like everything you said, I'm like, oh yeah, I did say that and I like forget. Um, but feel free to elaborate because you probably know more than I do. um I pre- I think I was talking about how. I think I was just giving standard definitions mm. from some pretty basic, like from the American psychology association, from the centers for disease control, from the like all these governing bodies of, of different things. were saying like, um, of these different psychological journals being like, this is how we defined healthy body image. This is how we define good relationships with food. This is how we define, um, I don't know. It was like Wild four made. or five things yeah. or something. There you go. And, and then, and then very directly being like, and this is what we do as bodybuilders. And if you really look at it, it's the exact opposite of all these things. Mm-hmm. Um, and therefore, I've, I've said this, and I think all my presentations I've done with 3D is like, and, and the big question is like, um, or not question, but the thing that we fail to tell our athletes before they start this is, um, you know, how screwed up you're going to be, right? And if and if you, you think... You okay, so now you're about to ready get ready to compete for the first time. You think your physique is at a solid like seven or eight. For you, we're gonna try to get it to as close as a ten as possible. Optimism and lies. then from now on, yeah, and then from now on, you're like eight or nine is gonna feel like a five or six and you're gonna hit yourself for a long time unless we really, really work on this, right? Um so it it's as as a coach, I feel like I'm assisting this person. Um into and out of mental health, right? Like if they're prepping, I'm trying to teach someone how to obsess about their body. I'm trying to teach someone how to have a hyper-focused life. I'm trying to teach someone to be over-analytical themselves. I'm trying to teach someone um, that their social life might have to suffer. Like all these things. And then when it's over with, I'm supposed to try to undo that all, right? And, And we talked about this before, you and I, I think elsewhere, like how... A lot of coaches who do all that learning on the scientific literature who um, like to say often, well, I'm not your therapist. I'm just your fitness coach, you know, and to think you're right. You're not a therapist, but to think that you're not in charge of assisting someone through these mental shifts. And I You're think causing
0: it's... The, was... the, the, the psychological you know, torment through what you're applying on a physiological sense. So, you know, you're responsible directly for yeah. what's happening to this person, right?
1: Yeah, and it's a little, it's a little, again, I don't know if negligence or, it's a little, of um, you'd be kind of remiss if you didn't see how those are linked, right? If I'm starving someone on purpose, <laughs> you know, to, to think that your mind and body aren't connected and aren't, um, and again, especially in this world where everything we do is so public. And um, yeah, it, it's, I think I wrote about that on the 3D blog. It's just, it's um, how, how scared a lot of fitness professionals are of the whole psycho- psychological um but as you know because you, you guys work with gen pop too it's yeah bodybuilders kind of jacked up but it, it, you a lot of it is it's mental like, just different it's different ends of the
0: spectrum body, yeah. bodybuilders are here with the neuroticism the you know the over body dysmorphia like all this kind of stuff is over here the um you know the you know orthorexia nervosa like all this stuff here and then yeah. on the other end of the spectrum, you have you know self confidence issues. You have you know the binge eating, the you know just all the other stuff. Um, that's yeah, but the, it's not to say that they're you know um, mutually exclusive, um, because yeah. often you know they both uh, lead to one another in many cases, especially yeah. And oftentimes of
1: we try to make them more like the other for mm. to reach their particular goals, or they need to behave more like the other, or whatever. So yeah, it's we'll never um you'll never know enough though then too, right? Because you have to know the person. What can they take? Um, what are their hang ups? Do you know um on I think when you were on my podcast we talk about like, is this actually for you? Is it because you don't feel sexy? Is it because your marriage is bad? Is it because you used to be a fat kid? Is it because you know, like there's so many things that there's in another spectrum, right? There's always like the person that's like, I'm not a therapist. Why are you talking to me? And then of course there's a point where we need to maybe know of a couple behavioral therapists or mental health counselors or whatever, when it does get to that point. Um, but, you know, just like we'll tell people freely what to eat <laughs> or or how much to eat and all this stuff. But there will be a point where it's like, okay, I think this person might have an eating disorder and you take them somewhere. Right. And And I think for us to be so quick to make people judge, you know, take pictures from me every week, let's flex, let's check yourself out. I, you know, um, there, we can cause a lot of problems. And sure, they might not all go to full blown mental health disorders or whatever, but we have to create a very unbalanced human to get what we want. And I don't know, it's tricky. And I'm not saying like I have answers or whatever, I just know that it's complicated and to simplify or ignore. Generally leads to less healthy coach-client relationships and less successful um, everything in in any of their efforts.
0: I think the industry has come a long way, but that yeah. may be that might be just a function of me subjecting myself to the people who are you know, on a similar wavelength to me um, yeah, and creating excellent. my own little bubble. Um, mm. But then I, I'm often reminded that. Some people just have no idea about what actually happens to them in a contest. But I had a client, a new client, come to me mm-hmm. just the other week, and she'd seen three or four coaches before me, she's like, "Oh, you're my last one," and she's like, "You know, so how many weeks do I need? Um, you know, what's my diet going to look like?" And I just sat her down and said, "Look, I'm not going to talk to you about time frame. I want to know what do you do at home. You know, what's uh-huh. your okay? You've got two kids, right? You have a husband." You, you know, have trained in the past, have you had an unhealthy relationship with food? And I said, look, we're to spend six months, um, you know, fixing all this shit, setting this up before we started Contest Prep. And I'm like, did these mm-hmm. other coaches, like, tell you that you could start, you know, your prep now? And they're like, yeah, they'd said 16 weeks. Oh,
1: um, my God. And when that yeah.
0: happens, I'm just like, oh, my God. Fortunately, she chose me out of these other four peanuts, but, um, <laughs>
1: See, but nice. it
0: still happens. And I think that's just because people don't understand, you know, the true definition of of what bodybuilding entails and yeah. you know you presented and gave your definition on this I'm going to challenge you now because you're going to have to think back and remember exactly what it was but if you can uh, outline to listeners you know what that definition was because I thought you know Shit. once we, once we uh, see that you know we can start to yeah better understand the sport.
1: Do you, do you have it pulled out by any chance? No. Because I don't know if I remember. Uh, okay let me think. Uh Definition of bodybuilding or definition of coaching was it something about how I think my job is to come in and out of mental health and is yeah. as uh, yeah it. that we are literally becoming mentally unhealthy on purpose for a certain amount of time and then I have to or we together me and the client have to pull ourselves out of it and I think that is my job. Um, I'm thinking it was something along those lines. I've got it. Yeah. <laughs> I,
0: One's ability okay. to drift in and out of mental healthiness in attempts to maximize their physique in terms of their divisions criteria on a single day.
1: All right. That sounds good. Yeah.
0: I liked it. I approve I, still. I, I really liked it. I thought it was very valuable because we do you know, have to shift in and out of mental health. And, you know, like you mentioned, many people see this as a means to an end. So they want to do a contest prep diet, um, which is just a short time frame. They don't consider, you know, before and the after, you know, what's going to happen <sighs> to them as a result yeah. of this, you know, semi-starvation and all the things that they have to choose to give up. Um, so I guess why is bodybuilding more than just a contest prep and how can athletes and coaches better understand this so that they don't fall victim to, you know, getting screwed up by, you know, going too deep without, you know, knowing how to swim, so to speak?
1: Yeah, well, I think it, as an athlete, I mean, as a as a coach, right, it kind of blows my mind how there are still some people that out there who are consider themselves bodybuilding coaches who have never done a bodybuilding contest prep. So I think first off you need to know what the fuck that feels like, um, and and to take whatever type of notes you need to to remember the dark times because I don't think you've gotten lean enough if you didn't have any dark times. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like uh, note it all, be be aware of it all, come out of it a couple times. So and and note all that, and then as a and then, therefore, it is your job with, with new athletes to explain and very clearly lay out that this, um, this, this is, it doesn't end at this stage. You know, have your priorities of, I, I would hope we're at a place now where it's like, when you, I'm thinking business-wise, you would like this person to be a client for a long time, right? You would like there to be a multi-year career for this person, Right. And so like their priority thing is like, is this person going to have a have longevity in the sport? And what does that even mean? And I hope that we all understand that if that that means coming in and out of seasons, not just you get to the stage and it's all over with and you're on your own. But I need to explain to my clients that, you know, like when when 3D sets up a, a client on our contract, it's like this is what we're doing. We're going to the stage and then afterwards we have a minimum amount of time or as long as you need till we're both comfortable with you getting off the weekly roster through the recovery diet phase. Um, So it's, we, and I I think any um, good evidence-based online coaching, or not even online, just coaching someone to the stage, I think everyone knows now that it doesn't stop on that day, Um, that there is an exit period, an exit strategy. Um, We make sure to communicate at the beginning, but then the few weeks leading up to the end of season, we we all at 3D, we hammer it in this is about to end. Before it ends, these are the things we're practicing on. Go rewatch the recovery diet video. This is our general idea. We're still doing weekly check-ins. You aren't done when it's over, you know, and yes, they're, they're done dieting, but, um, explaining to someone that we do have a plan outside of it and that plan does entail gaining fat on purpose for a certain amount of time, you know, so just expectation management is a, is a huge deal. And again, I think there's, um, we talked about on one of our three podcasts, there's this like two prep, two or three prep, or maybe your first three to five years of competing that it literally takes someone that long to be like, Oh, that's what this is like, you know, to come in and out of dieting phases. Cause you're, it's funny that first one or two times that you prep or that you go on an extended or extreme dieting phase. To the amount of time it takes you to find yourself again, um, I think, is often underestimated. It's not necessarily an amount of pounds. It's not necessarily a an amount of time. I think it's maturity. It can be a lot of things, yeah, and maturity. And that doesn't mean age, but like just maturing as an athlete. Have you experienced this? Have you gained weight multiple times without losing your shit, which takes years, you know, for most yeah. people.
0: Yeah, I think that's extremely valuable. And you know, I obviously have just signed up with uh, Team 3DMJ for I this year's prep, which is really exciting. And I'm um, really excited. Yeah, you know, when I got the terms of additions and read through all that stuff, like, you know, obviously, Birdo didn't necessarily explain this stuff to me explicitly because, like, he knows that I, I know and, like, we've got other things we've got to worry about. Um, but I guess, yeah, like, it, it is one of those things that coaches should be doing with their clients, whether it's, you know, in documentation, whether there's it's part of the waiver or anything like that. It should be stipulated that, you know, it's not just a 16 week prep. It's also, yeah. you know, before the prep, you know, the pre-contest diet, yeah. the, the recovery diet. Like, there's so many things. And, and I've actually just restructured my coaching um, service with me personally now. I only take on people for 12 months. so Or more. Or more, yeah, yeah. So they lock, yeah, okay. in, they lock in for 12-month period. And I okay. lock my roster and that's it. Like, nobody else comes in. Um, cool. you're, you're mine for 12 months. So that way I can actually... Coach you, very cool. Not yeah. train you, and I'm really lucky that I had, I had to actually cut my list down. You know, so I've got my 30 clients, and I think this is something bodybuilding coaches should be looking to do. You know, in turn, instead of the whole, yeah, let's just offer you a 16 week prep. Let's, you know, you do one session a week until your show. Like it should be, you want to be a bodybuilder. Like I think it, the changing the definition for the athletes has to start with coaches because they're being directed yeah. by the coaches, and I think if we offer a different you know, service, you know, and like you guys do, it's not uh, it, it's just the prep. It's a cool, you've got to do, you know, your off-season, pre-contest diet if you want to then be in a position to do the prep and then you've got to yeah. work with this afterwards. I think, you know, us coaches like you guys have done should be redefining our services to then pass down the message that, okay, this mm. isn't just a okay. diet. Um, yeah. And that's something I've really taken from you guys which is why I restructured everything like that. I learn everything that's from, cool
1: though that's yeah, a whole I, month thing and like what we do is uh we have off season skypes yeah yeah and so people will come we'll say often on our weekly roster but 3DMJ has that separate service where we'll do um off season programming so it's like it might be somewhere usually somewhere between 6 and 16 weeks every every that often you check in with your coach they go over your program um go over your body weight you know whatever so there's a and then Let's say I talk to you every three months for however long, and then okay, now you want to compete this season. Okay, we're going to go on the weekly roster through your prep phrase, through your recovery diet. We're feeling we're both feeling good about where you are mentally. Okay, see you in six weeks, and we'll start doing that again every once in a while. So yeah, we have a couple different methods too, um, and I think I think it was a uh, like Bryce. I don't think it matters, but Bryce Lewis, uh, our one of our elite powerlifters, has been coaching weekly with Eric for. Shit, years and years. I've been
0: following like multiple that years. since like circa two thousand and nine.
1: Right? Yeah, when <laughs> yeah, he skinny so, so, bodybuilder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I forget he. Yeah, that's when he was backstage with two of the guys. Can't remember who. Was it Eric and Bert?
0: I think it was. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I mean, and that—that's the shit of it too. Is like they to say, it's so. <laughs> if you know anything about the human body, right, it's a little bit crazy to promise results in any way. So if you're like, I can do this in 16 weeks, like, but can you hey. like what, <laughs> you know, what makes pass. you so sure you can? Yeah. Well, and what makes you so sure you can, if someone gets sick, if there's a death in the family, if it's not, you know, like, um, someone changes jobs. So, and so I, I think again, it, we're working with humans. Yes, there's math and yes, there's research, but it's, it just doesn't always matter. It just doesn't. Um, Preference matters. Lifestyle matters. I mean, there's just too much fucking context to even like go through. but, um, if, if you only are basing your coaching practice off of numbers, then you're really not just doing your clients a disservice, but you know, you're going to have quite a bit more failures than you will um, successes. If you don't, one, um, recognize that shit happens, and two, um, take the long view. Like you said, why would you want to take on a client for only sixteen weeks? Why would you want to do that? <laughs> you know, like wouldn't you want one for a year or multiple years, and and to see their career through, because um, it only get better and better. And yeah. that's not to say too, like like there's people that maybe by your third or fourth rep, when you like, there's people like Berta, like Brandon, the same way. They've done this a few times, so when they finish their diet, they can just go. We don't need to see them through that weekly recovery diet. But that's not the norm, and that's later on in the career, and that's after you've known your coach a long time. and you I know, know how that to I'm going to
0: need that phase the most. Like, I know that, yeah. you know, doing the cardio, like hitting my macros, like that's the easy part when you're, you're in the same. prison cell that is the contest prep, like you've got no choice. <laughs> yeah. You mentally, yeah. you're in a position where it's like, I've just got to do as I'm told, you know, you're a soldier and you're just ticking boxes um, because you build that over time and obviously, you know, your situation just it happens and you survive. But it's as soon as you're out of the prison that, that you've got to make decisions for yourself. It's like, uh,
1: yeah. I know that's when,
0: when I'm going to need, you know, coaching the most. It's, it's post-show. It's not necessarily, you know, now, nine months out or three months' time or yeah, you know, the peak week. Like, yeah, we can we can do that. We can train. We can eat. That stuff matters. No shit. But so if I want to compete again in a couple of years' time and be better, then I need to come out of it properly. And people just don't pay yeah. attention to that because they have that short-term view. And I do think that when you presented this, I know that your definition of bodybuilding really changed. You know how I perceived it as a sport. Um, and I think, you know, many of the people who were there and the listeners today will now see that, you know, it isn't just a prep diet. I think that's, that's huge for you know, the industry and the sport itself, because there are so many people who perceive it on a acute time scale
1: Thanks, man. Yeah. Yeah. It's, a uh, it, it, most of the time causes more harm than good, right. In those first few years, it really does. And when, if you can pull out of it, it can be this lifelong thing. And I think, uh, one of the other articles I'd, Written and just just out of observation. Because I'm by no means an elite bodybuilder. Um, But by getting... Oh, that's nice. Thanks. (laughs) But by being around a lot of elite bodybuilders is, you know, at a certain point, the greats are great because they know how to gain fat. As weird as that fucking sounds, right? Everyone can look better and track it on Instagram and be real proud and get the shreds. But to people like Birdo, he's like, how how big can I get as soon as I can get there? Because I know that that's... Where the magic happens. That's how I get better over time. And it's almost like a detachment. You know, the more objective you can be with yourself, and and this is my work of art, and this is my sport, and it's over here, and the things that make me a great human are over here, and they're not so closely related that I, I can't emotionally deal with when the physical being wavers. You know?
0: Yeah, man. You, you have such a good perspective on all of this and <laughs> the final thing i want to talk to you about before we uh, run out of time is okay. the psychology toolbox this was another another thing that you presented on that i was like okay. man andrew just keeps making me think and keeps making me <laughs> better as a coach and i really yeah i really liked this concept um okay because it makes taking this really fluffy topic which is mindset you know like i, I hate the word mindset <laughs> like but I know, it, but I use it,
1: but I hate it. Yeah, I use it
0: and I hate it. It's like balance. I really hate the word balance, but I <laughs> oh, use me it. Too. And anyway. Um, yeah. And you outlined, you know, four factors that are pivotal to improving this toolbox, which are mental health, our lens, um, the devotion to the sport, cognitive dissonance, and behaviors. So, those were the four things you know, within our toolbox, and I really like that. Um, so, you know, can you just share how you track psychology you know, in a, I think this could be a future podcast episode for 3MJ, by the way, tell the guys. Good idea.
1: Um,
0: yeah. but how do you track it and how do you make, uh, you know, psychology tangible?
1: Um, well, I think, and again, cause it was, I'm so glad that you have that pulled up because I don't freaking remember it all, but I do know that I'm more than likely hundred percent sure. I talked a lot about journaling cause that's always my go-to. Okay. So I, I, um, I'm a fan of it obviously for myself or whatever, but I believe that record keeping or journaling or data collection, whatever you want to call it, that's the most comfortable way to call it that for you is, um, everybody knows it when it involves numbers, but when it involves subjective data, it gets thrown out the window a lot. And so however you need to do that, um, and however you need your athletes to do that, that works for you. I think it is really important. Um, so not just what is my training and what is my whatever, but like how did I feel today in the gym? Um, how do I feel about my self-esteem? How do I um, – like I know people have like a set number of five questions that they want answered every day from their clients. Um, I need the video personally. That's my favorite form of journaling and coaching is um, – for those who don't know, as as 3D imagery coaches, we typically ask for videos, under 10-minute video from our clients so I can see their face, so I can – Hear their struggles while I'm watching them, um, and when you when you say the cognitive dissonance, that brings up the fact that, or not the fact, the 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 such common a very common thing is, I know I should be doing this, but I actually want this, or I know I should be doing this, but your behavior shows me otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's something that I try to pay attention to a lot, or it's how I evaluate the athletes a lot. Um, in a, in a subjective manner is, especially in that recovery diet phase, they're like, I know I need to be eating more. I know I'm supposed to be putting on weight, but I'm so fucking unhappy with myself. And I look in the mirror and it's upsetting, Mm. you know, and, um, and there's a lot of other ways I can exhibit too, but that's a really common one post season. And, you know, I would be a shitty coach if I'm like, I know you hate your life, but the recovery diet says that this is the amount of fat you're supposed to gain and you should weigh this much. So deal with it you know, and those are those soft skills. Like you can't, um, yeah, I could, I could be like, what these numbers say this, but at the same time, I, if I care about this athlete as a human first, and I know they're miserable, I can probably slow down their weight gain to make them not want to kill themselves. You know what I mean? Exaggerating. But, but that's, um, I'm bouncing all over on that answer because I'm trying to cover all the four things, but I don't think that worked out. But it comes down to like, what are the records you're keeping, and are they giving you the information you need, and knowing that information is not just numbers. Yeah. It's not just an appearance, it's um...
0: Subjective interviewing and knowing yeah. knowing what's actually happening with that interview.
1: Yeah, and they have to be comfortable enough to tell you that shit, too. And so that starts real early in the relationship, yeah. is am, yeah. I, am I creating an open enough forum that when this person's internal shit is hitting the fan, they'll make me aware of it. Yeah. Um,
0: Yeah,
1: help me oh, okay. fish around for something better. No, no, no. I, I think that that
0: pretty much covered everything. Like, it, it, it isn't okay. something that you can, you know, explicitly state these are the things you have to do and you will be mentally healthy. Like, yeah. I, I think it's just the recognition and awareness of, you know, the importance of subjective interviewing for coaches and, you know, making sure that, you know, those four areas are being monitored. Like, you know, there's a lot of ways to go about that, I think. Yeah. Mental health is different for everyone. I think you know, devotion to the sport is different for everyone. You know, like we like use Gerto as an example. Like he's a through and through, you know, natty bodybuilder, represent. Like you probably get it tattooed on his, you know, calves or something <laughs> like that, right? Um, but, you know, whereas for me it's like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a bodybuilder, but you know, it, it has varying importance. My devotion to the sport varies, you know, depending on other things in my life. Um, mm-hmm. More so than what it would for someone like Birdo. And there's, there's nothing wrong with that, it's just we're different. Um, and the same for cognitive dissonance. Like some people are different you know, in you know, what they say they want to do versus what they're actually doing. And it has you know, different um, you know, levels of, I guess, impact on their life. Um, you know, some people, the d- dissonance is very minor, whereas others, it's huge. And same with behaviors. Like it's what do you need to improve versus what I need to improve. Is so different, but I think, like you said, just being able to understand that there's a person uh, that has to do with these things as opposed to being able to give data, that's that's really important.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, I get I get freaked out too because the thing that you say need most help with, like the only reason I'm cool talking about this is because of where I am right now, but um as a coach, I think I was scared to become a bodybuilding coach after I'd done Gen Pop and like people wanted to get fit and whatever. But to actually be a bodybuilding coach, I my confidence wasn't very high because I didn't feel like I learned how to gain weight yet for a long time. And I'm still a little bit weary that when I do prep again, will I will I feel like a piece of shit coach again because I'm not happy with my body? I don't know, but I'm aware of it <laughs> that it could happen, you know. Um, and Berto, your coach is my coach when I do prep, so he helps me through it. Um. But I, I think um, people who want to be bodybuilding coaches, hopefully with this and other conversations on your podcast, because I'm sure it's great. And, and you have Ian on here a bunch. And I know he's very aware of all these things much much in a much more specific way than I am. But it's like, um, are you willing to take responsibility for someone's, and it sounds weird, someone's mental health. Like, you don't have to say that, but we're so quick to tell someone what to eat. Should we be okay telling them what they, I don't to say should think, but some things that you could think that might make this better? Some things that have helped me psychologically, some things that have helped my other athletes to deal with this. And I think you should have an, an array of strategies there, too, not just higher carb, lower carb, but, like, um, let's weigh in less often. Let's um, take pictures daily and set, like, whatever it is, whatever you need, are, do you have a skill set there, too? And, and are you willing to study that a little bit instead of just you know, uh, n- numerical data all the time?
0: Yeah, I agree, man, I 100% agree. My final question, Andrew, they say time heals all wounds, and okay. I know personally that I was very much burnt from bodybuilding um, for my first few experiences, and I came out of it, I was powerlifting, you know, I don't want to coach bodybuilders anymore, I just want to, you know, do gen pop, and I know that you've had similar feelings and trains of thought, um, you know, personally, but uh-huh. uh, are you getting back on stage soon? Where are you at now? Is this something that you have come to, I guess, have, has that, you know, wound healed, and are you now, you know, changing your perceptions and feelings towards this sport over time?
1: I, I won't, okay, things I know. I will not get on stage soon. Um, I think I answered this on a 3D podcast not too long ago because they asked us what our, like, whatever goals are um, as an athlete. I want to do the hardest thing I can possibly do for as long as I can until I can't. So right now, like I said, functional fitness. Um, That's odd. It's, it's hard as shit. It takes a lot of time. But I'm having the time of my fucking life and, um, I, I am loving every bit of it and I don't know if that means compete in CrossFit. I don't know if that means compete. I don't know if grid leagues even around anymore. We'll talk about that privately, you and I, but I don't know what that means, but I do know that I love doing all the things and that's Olympic lifting it involves Olympic lifting, strength based stuff, gymnastics, body weight, um, Endurance, like all the things. I like all the things right now and I can do all the things. And then maybe later on when I can't do all the things that goes to Olympic lifting. And when I can't put my shoulders in a snatch position, maybe that's powerlifting. And then of all the things, bodybuilding's always gonna be there. I don't feel the rush. Um I don't I don't know. And at the same time, it's like the one thing that's transformed my life in the biggest way. It was it, yeah, it's had some dark times to it, but I appreciate the shit out of everything, um, and it's what I do professionally now. But I think um, I get a rise, or I get a, I get jazz, as you can tell, talking about all the shit that I feel like no one else talked about when I was getting into it. And why did I, you know, what Same. I mean, like all the shit. I'm like, no one told me I would hate myself. Nobody told me I would be a hermit. Nobody's, which maybe that which I just didn't know or didn't know where to look. But it's. Um, I think because I had a hard, such a hard time for so long that I really thrive on helping people not have such a hard time um, in that particular sport. But I think competitively as an athlete, I'm definitely not dieting for a long time. I'm having too much fun playing right now. Awesome, man. Uh, well,
0: yeah. thank you very much, Andrea, for being on the show. As always, it's a pleasure uh, chatting to you and picking your brain about all the things that nobody wants to talk about. So thank you for coming on. <laughs> And, uh, guys, Thanks for make, having me. Not a problem. Make sure you check AV out. Check the guys at 3DMJ out also. Um, like I mentioned, for those of you in Australia, Thursday nights, their podcast comes out every week and it's absolutely epic. Hosted by Andrea, and she's uh, always asking the right questions, which are uh, very useful for coaches, athletes, and anyone interested in uh, strength and nutrition. So, guys, uh, that's it for today, and we'll speak to you next time. Thanks, Andrea.
1: Thank you.